Friends, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We started the book of Ephesians last week. We're going to be in Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read for us from verse 3 to verse 10. Pound for pound, line for line, I think you can hardly find a paragraph like this one in Ephesians chapter 1. Hear God's word. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we marvel at this picture of you. You are the puppet master and everything in this world, seen and unseen, marches to your sovereign will. There are few places that we feel as small and you feel as large as Ephesians chapter 1. Whatever we feel now, make it more so. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, we're going to talk about a very intense doctrine this morning, the doctrine of predestination, which is why we cut the AC in the room. We kind of wanted to heat things up a little bit and make you pay attention. Now, we had some kind of issue with it this morning, but that's perfect, because this is going to be a heavy topic, and the reason... We're talking about predestination is not to try to sneak some reformed theology into a Presbyterian church. We don't need permission for that. The reason we're talking about predestination is because it is all over the passage I just read. Now, maybe you've heard this doctrine before, predestination. By it, we simply mean that God chooses and empowers those who will believe and trust in him. God is the one who chooses those who will turn around in faith to believe and trust in him. Now that said, this morning is not going to be a lecture on predestination. It's a sermon from Ephesians chapter 1. So whatever we know about predestination, we want to draw that from our text, from Ephesians 1, and let that feed our impressions of this doctrine. In this passage, we see five features of predestination. They're going to come to us in phrases, and by the end, we will have an entire sentence that kind of sums up what God is telling us about this doctrine in Ephesians chapter 1. Five features, let's begin with number one. Before the foundations of the world. Before the foundations of the world. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I read Psalm 139, I get goosebumps. Psalm 139 is the psalm that says that God knows us in our mother's womb. 
that before we're even born, before any human being meets us or sees us, God knows us because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. To, to know that God has that knowledge of me before I'm even born makes me in awe of him. Now, I know it's not a competition, but Ephesians 1 blows Psalm 139 out of the water. We're not talking about our mother's womb. God is stretching the timeline back before nations, before kings, before creation, and saying before there was anything, when the earth was formless and void, God knew us, God chose us. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Right out of the gate in Ephesians chapter 1, we are disoriented. Because as created beings who are bound by time and the creation around us, this is foreign territory to understand what is happening in the mind of God before the universe was even created. We have no frame of reference to understand what God is talking about here. That he was thinking things, ordaining things, planning things before he had even spoken creation into existence. The only thing we can know about the mind of God before the world is created is what God condescends and chooses to tell us. We are wholly dependent on him. We are wholly dependent on what he will communicate to us. We're guests here on sacred and foreign territory. God is inviting us beyond the veil of creation, beyond the veil of his mind, and saying, I will share with you what I have planned. And you are a guest here. You will hardly know what I'm talking about. That, that starts us on this journey of, of understanding predestination. Before the foundations of the world, <clears throat> number two, By love and by will. So before the foundations of the world, by love and by will. Two ironclad tenants rule the course of the cosmos. Everything that exists, everything that happens, does so by permission from these two things. You cannot bend them. You cannot break them. You cannot ignore them. You cannot undermine them. The serpent has tried. Egyptians have tried. The Philistines and the Babylonians and the Egyptians have tried. You've tried. I've tried. The Democratic and Republican parties have tried. The Supreme Court has tried. The media is still trying. You cannot undermine two ironclad tenants that rule the course of the cosmos, and that is God's love and God's will. The universe is built on these two pillars. They come to us in verses 4 and 5. In love, he predestined us according to the purpose of his will. God's love and God's will. Predestination is fueled by God's love and God's will. Now I think the the burning question every single one of us has about the doctrine of predestination, whether you subscribe to this and believe it, or you disbelieve and hate 
teaching of this doctrine, every one of us shares a common question in our minds, and that is this. How can a loving God create human beings, predestine them to reject him, and leave them to suffer eternal punishment? How is that possible? Have you ever asked that question, asked somebody that question, wrestled with that question when you come to Romans and Ephesians and, and interact with this doctrine? How can God predestined those for eternal judgment. And it's interesting because Christians in Rome 2,000 years ago asked that exact same question. Paul teaches them this doctrine and they respond the same way we responded. How, how could this possibly be fair that God would do something like this? And Paul answers that question with a question. If you remember from Romans chapter 9, we ask a question, Paul responds with a question that turns everything on its head. Can a lump of clay ask the potter, why have you made me this way? God, I want to know this about you. Paul responds, how can the clay, us, turn around and ask the potter, why are things like this and why have you made me this way? I think Paul's question in Romans 9 is offensive to us. A 21st century Bill of Rights wielding democratic American who has been nursed on the promise that we are wholly autonomous, self-governed, spiritual and physical free agents, that the right to choose trumps everything else, be it our allegiances, our beliefs, our gender, an unborn child in our womb. Such a person from this culture would answer Paul, You're darn straight, I have the right as the clay to ask the potter why he has made me this way. And he better answer and it better be justifiable in my sight. If a person asks that question, then the Bible becomes a place where our illusions of self-sovereignty they come crashing into another's sovereignty. God does not bend to our will. We bend to God's will. This is Christianity 101, and I think it will take us for all eternity to understand, to enjoy, and to worship God over this doctrine. There is a potter, He is not you, and he is not me, and the universe is shaped by his love and his will, and nothing will come between this potter and his masterpiece in verse 10. In the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. The potter will do this in the potter's time. So we've got before the foundations of the world. We understand it's by love and by will. Number three, God predestines us. Now we see a few words in this paragraph that show us that this is fixed. You've got the words choose. Predestined shows up twice. You've got seal, guarantee. You've got the phrase in Christ at least nine times. 
And the point is that God chooses us, we do not choose him. It's not as if, as some people have speculated, what if God, knowing the future, knowing how everything is going to play out, knowing what people are going to trust in him and lead exemplary lives and and pursue him by faith until they die, what if knowing those people and who they are, then he backs up and he predestines those people who were the people that were going to trust in him and have the greatest potential for faith and work. If he did that, then our salvation would ultimately rest with something within ourselves and not something without. There would have to be something that God finds in the potential Christian native to themselves in and their hearts. Better reason, better intuition, better discernment. There's something that God can see in us who are going to believe that is better than what he sees in someone who's not going to believe. If you think God's foreknowledge, knowing who will come to faith, instructs his predestination, choosing those who will come, then you inherently believe that there is something different about those of faith and those not of faith. The book of Ephesians says you can scrap that idea. God did not find anything native in the heart of a would-be Christian. When he goes there before the foundations of the world, he sees every single heart as black with unbelief. He does not see potential. He does not back up and choose native potential. He sees unbelief, and in his mercy, he reaches down and chooses those who will then come to faith. And when he does that, the entire trinity begins to go to work in the heart of this person. God the Father, he chooses and predestines according to Ephesians 1. God the Son, he unites us to himself and gives us every spiritual blessing that is his. And God the Spirit then acts as a down payment. He's a seal, he's a guarantee that those God chooses and Christ unites himself to will indeed last in this life in faith. They are sealed for the life to come. Before the foundations of the world, by love and by will, God predestines us, number four, to be wholly blameless adopted inheritors. Number four, to be wholly blameless adopted inheritors. Now we're going to come back to the benefits of Christ that we find in this passage, so I'm not going to belabor that. All I want to do here is make the point that sometimes when we're gleaning doctrine from our Bibles. We're reading different passages and we're trying to grab a doctrine and we pull it out of the Bible and we set it on a table so that we can dissect it and inspect it and understand how it works. Then that same doctrine can become cold and dry and abstract, right? Divorced from scripture, looking at proof texts, the thing kind of loses some of the life that it had when it was in our Bibles, And predestination, I believe this happens to this doctrine more than any other, because it can become this cold binary issue. Are you in or are you out? When meanwhile, the Bible never speaks about the doctrine of predestination in that way. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, 
Predestination is a lavish display of the love of God. It is a lavish display of what God has in store for us. He knows us before the foundations of the world. And he chooses us, get this, before we said, thought, or did anything in rebellion against him. He chooses us. And when he leads us to faith, the benefits and the gifts of salvation begin to flow. They are all over this passage. Every spiritual blessing, verse 3, declared holy and blameless. Verse 4, adopted. 5, redemption and forgiveness. 7, an inheritance. 11 and 14. There is real mercy Real affection, real emotion from God within the doctrine of predestination. He loves us, he chooses us, he forgives us, and he declares us holy and blameless. Well, here's the final point. Before the foundations of the world, by love and by will, God predestines us to be holy and blameless and adopted inheritors. Number five, To the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. That is the refrain of this passage. You read and we come back to this theme again and again. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12. To the praise of his glory. Verse 14. To the praise of his glory. It's very unfortunate that some give this doctrine of predestination a very cold impression. We like to joke about Calvinists as the frozen chosen, right? They're they're cold and passive in this doctrine. You see places where divine sovereignty leads us to human inactivity and, and we're just frozen as a group of people who believes in predestination. If God has preordained everything, why would man do anything at all? And we're going to address that question head on next week in our sermon. But here, we are told explicitly how to respond to this doctrine. It's not pride, as if we did anything or added anything to our choosing. It's not license. As if by the fact that God chooses us, we're now free to live as we want to live. It's not interrogation of God. As if the clay needs to understand the potter before we can proceed together. And it's not even terror, at least not in Ephesians, where the whole pressing point of the book is to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has indeed chosen you before the foundations of the world. The explicit response to the doctrine of predestination in Ephesians chapter 1 is unabated worship. It is worship of God. 
He invites you into foreign territory you don't belong that happens outside of time and creation and within his mind that we have no access to were he not to tell us. And as strangers, as guests in the household of God, when he unveils his purposes and says, I ordain everything and it will come to pass. The book of Revelation is not my best guess at how the world is going to end. I tell you what has been set in stone on the twin pillars of my love and my will. When we hear that, we respond with the Apostle Paul in verse 3. Blessed be the God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand you. I'm not close to this. This is outside of my mind and my understanding. I have come face to face with one who is above me, the potter. And I get on my face and I worship. Joyful, unabated, free-flowing, spirit-filled worship. God is above me. God is over me. God ordains what comes to pass, and I worship that kind of God. Before the foundations of the world, by love and by will, God predestined us to be holy, blameless, adopted inheritors to the praise of his glorious grace. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, you invite us to the threshold of something that is beyond our wildest imaginations. I've got about a gazillion questions for how this works. But right now, Ephesians 1 closes my lips and lets me look upward and praise the one I do not understand, I cannot figure out, And I cannot coerce to do the things that I want him to do. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Hallelujah. Amen.